Today we begin a new series that will take us through Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's a a series called Partners in Grace. It's an eight-week kind of thing, so that'll take us right up through our uh, fall kickoff picnic on September 12th, which we get to have this year. Yay, right? Uh, And then we'll turn the corner for the the beginning of the beginning of the program year. Uh, I've, I've got some introductory stuff with, with, with regard to this letter, but I thought we'd listen to the text uh, first and, and take it from there. So let's, let's listen to the Word of God. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains, defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Doug. Paul's letter to the Philippians, you know what? It starts off, and you can feel it already, the, the warmth and the friendship that was shared between Paul and these people in the, in the church in Philippi. Uh, that's, that's probably one of the reasons Philippians has become kind of a devotional classic. There, there are all sorts of verses in Philippians that become favorites for people to memorize. And if you've been around the Christian faith for some period of time, I'm sure you're aware of some of those. One, one we read today, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or this in an upcoming text, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This from chapter four, probably the most famous in this letter, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Back to that idea that there is a a peace and a joy in this life that supersedes our circumstances, that's available to us only in and and through Jesus. But of course, Philippians is much more than just uh, good for, you know, sound bite memory verses. Uh, There's a lot more going on in this. And there's a lot of background stuff to kind of unpack, but rather than doing a download right now. We're gonna take that piece by piece as we work our way through the series. But but a couple that are important to our purposes today. Uh, First, Philippians is a letter. And you know, in the the modern church, we kind of refer to everything in the Bible as a book, the book of Philippians, the book of Exodus, and 
And that's true because they make up parts of the Bible. And at the same time, we need to be a little more nuanced in that and understand that, you know, it's all God's word, but God inspired human authors to write these things. And they they wrote them in somewhat different ways. And it's important for us to kind of think about that. So Philippians isn't a gospel. It doesn't just record the events and sayings of Jesus' life. It's, It's not like the book of Revelation, apocalyptic stuff. It's not like Proverbs, just lists of maxims for for wisdom or or like Psalms. It's different. It's a letter. A person wrote a letter to people he loved. And we've we've all done that. We've written a letter to somebody. and, And we know that whenever we write a letter, the purpose of that is to bridge some kind of distance because you wouldn't have to write a letter if the person was right there next to you. So a letter bridges a distance It has a purpose of of connecting or reconnecting. There's some purpose in writing. And and Paul's letter to the Philippians is very much a letter of friendship. It's it's much less like 1 Corinthians where he was writing to a church to hopefully with a smile deliver a boatload of correction. This is different than that. This is is Paul writing to some of his favorite people, his his trusted friends in the faith. So, So that's one thing. Uh, the, the Philippians is a letter. And because it's a letter, we get a little more insight into Paul's relationship with these, these friends, these believers in Philippi. And that, that's the second big important piece of background for us today. Paul's relationship with uh, the churches that he started was varied. But his relationship with the church at Philippi was probably the best of which we're aware And that's super important because it certainly appears that this depth of friendship, this depth of relationship became particularly fruitful for the gospel. See, relationships matter. All good ministry emerges out of good relationships. I mean, very rarely, God does do this sometimes, but very rarely, does a stranger walk up to somebody they don't know entirely and share something of spiritual significance with that person? The vast majority of the time, think of it for yourself. You know, uh, think of your faith in Christ. How did you come to faith in Christ? Who was most influential in that? How did you end up at this church? Um, Now, in this strange COVID time, it might be a little different, but a typical response to how did you end up in a church is a friend invited me. 85% of the time, that's true. You know, relationships matter. It's through our relationships with people that we learn and grow and kind of come to understand more about Jesus and what all this really means. Relationships are just a huge deal. So, So those are the two pieces of background. Philippians is a letter. Let's keep that in mind. And two, Paul and the Philippians were friends. And the nature of that relationship helps us understand what he was saying and it's important for us as we think about our life today in Jesus. So with those things, let's just look at a, a couple of the verses for the day and kind of unpack them. Uh, verses three through six, Paul wrote this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, it is, it is very clear that Paul considered these believers in Philippi fellow servants with him in the cause of Christ. Partners in the gospel is the phrase he uses. So, so two big things from this, this passage, partnership and, and assurance. 
Paul prayed with joy because of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. The Greek word translated partnership is the word koinonia. Some of you might be familiar with that. It's the word that really means fellowship. Way back in the day, I'm, I'm dating even myself at this point, this church had what we called koinonia Sundays where we would kind of take a break from the regular uh, kind of Sunday school, Christian education rhythm, and everybody would bring food, kind of like an old-fashioned potluck thing, and everybody would just hang out in those rooms over there, and it it was koinonia, just being in relationship with one another, being friends, enjoying the community. The word translated partnership is that word, fellowship, deep relationship. So what Paul is saying is, uh, I pray with joy because of your fellowship, our community in, in the gospel. Any, any Tolkien fans? You can raise your hand if you're a fellow, yeah. Uh, the, the Lord of the Rings, you know, well, everything really. But the Lord of the Rings, probably the most famous series. You, you might remember how Frodo uh, stumbles into the most important task in the world, right? It kind of falls upon him to hold and guard the ring of power and to make his way back to Mordor and hopefully drop it in that volcano so it gets destroyed and all that. And some friends come around him, at least most of them were friends, some of them were there for their own purposes, but some friends came around him to help him in his task and and they became known as the Fellowship of the Ring, the title of the first book in this series. The Fellowship, the Koinonia, the Community of the Ring. Right? They were partners in a great undertaking, a shared mission. They were called to this task and they were all in. That's what the Philippians were to Paul, to the gospel. They, they were partners. They were, all, they were the fellowship of the gospel. They weren't simply living in community, enjoying the warmth of, of, of relationships as they've been kind of transformed by Christ but they were living as as a community with a shared mission, a great undertaking that they shared together. They were a fellowship of the gospel, it's a partnership. This This is why Paul prayed with joy. And evidently the Philippians had been this way from the very beginning. Paul writes, your partnership from the first day until now. They heard it, they got it. They signed on the dotted line and said, we are in. We wanna be part of this community that God's gonna use in the world to help other people live lives of of greater freedom and greater joy and more abundance, we're in. It's this background on this this word partnership that has actually caused some churches to change from having members to having partners. So instead of like a church membership class, they have a church partnership class. And I mean, there's more to talk about there. At the end of the day, it's kind of semantics in my mind. But the spirit of it is important, right? Being a member of a church means being a partner, a, a, a fellowship of the gospel. See, the Lord calls people back into covenant relationship with him. That's what the Lord's table is all about, visual symbol of what Jesus has done for us. God keeps his end of the deal, and in Christ he comes to our side and keeps our end of the deal for us. So in the covenant, God keeps both ends of the deal, which for us is a really good deal. God calls us back into covenant relationship with us. And then he changes our entire life by giving us a kingdom purpose. It might not change vocationally what we're doing, but it will certainly change the way we do it. 
It will change our spiritual vocation. The Philippians were partners in, in the gospel. So partnership, assurance. This is that memory verse. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And there's a reason this is a favorite memory verse. It's so reassuring when you, when you actually internalize this, grasp what it's saying, and understand what it means for you and for me. I mean, it's just huge. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of outcome of everything God's up to in the world. Remember way back in Genesis 12, he called his first redemptive community into being with the call to Abram. He, he said this to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There it is, covenant relationship, kingdom purpose. Blessed to be a blessing. And it's been going like that ever since. God calls people to himself, gives them a new purpose to be a blessing to the world in the name of Jesus. God called the Philippians to do the same work. They became partners in it. They owned it. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He who began. Let's think about original language for a moment because the words in this passage are incredibly important. He who began, that verb in the original language carried a deep sense of solemnity. It referred to a formal inauguration. Not like, yeah, I guess I'll start that. Uh, but we are beginning now. It has that kind of weight. Um, one commentator said it indicated a decisive and deliberate act. It's that kind of beginning. So think about your faith in Jesus for a moment. Really, I, I get it when somebody's speaking, our minds kind of wander, so come back. <laughs> think about your faith in Jesus for a moment. Maybe you grew up going to church and, and never knew a day you didn't you know, know and love Jesus. What a blessing that is. Maybe you're more like me and you came to faith later in life. Maybe you feel like you, your faith is very strong. You've got a lot of it. You have the capacity to believe on behalf of other people even. You, your faith is strong and large. Maybe you feel like you're just kind of hanging on. Fingernails on the edge of the cliff. Um, you know, little teeny mustard seed, but that's about it. Maybe that's how you're feeling. Either way, you did not start your faith. Your parents or friends or, or spiritual leaders, whoever it is from whom you heard the gospel, did not start your faith. God started your faith. God began a work in you. Remember what the word begins means. In this context, a planned, deliberate, formal decision. God made that decision on your behalf and began a good work in you. It was planned and perfect. There was nothing impulsive about it. God is always the one who begins the work of salvation in any human being. Now, if we were able to call on Lydia, 
one of the founding members of the Philippian church. You can read about that in Acts 16 if you want to read about the birth story of this particular church. But if, if we could call upon Lydia, and if you're less familiar with the story, she was the, the, uh, the fabric dealer from Theatira who had traveled to Philippi to, uh, for a kind of fabric bazaar and was selling purple cloth outside the gate of the city. When Paul and his buddies came along, and they were going to pray for the city, and they met up with these women selling cloth outside the city gate. So instead of praying, they started talking to them about why they were there. And one thing led to another, and they found themselves sharing about Jesus and all that had happened in Jerusalem and his life and death and resurrection. And the, the women were, were amazed by this. Lydia, in particular, as the kind of leader, was struck by this. And the scripture says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Yeah, she did some deciding, but primarily, the Lord began a good work in her. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The, the Lord did it. God did it. God always did it. So the reassuring part of this is whether you feel like your faith is really strong or really weak right now, whether you feel like it's big or really small, God started it. Really. God the living God who created you put that in you. God started that work. So if it's there, take heart because God's working. And more than starting, God's a finisher. You know, God will see that work on to the end. It's translated here, a, a verb in the original language is translated, carry it on to completion. In the Greek, that's a single word. And it's a profound word. It, it's a word that means to complete a work perfectly, fully, and, and finally, where the target goal has been fully reached with nothing left undone. You're feeling it, right? God began the work of salvation in your life. God started your faith and says the scripture, God will finish that. See, what this verse means is that God will complete the work of faith he began in you, in me. You didn't start it. You will not finish it. God will. You will not make yourself perfect in this life. So, if your standard for self-approval or self-esteem or whatever, whatever, uh, whatever other self-based form of identity you might be pursuing is based ultimately on you finally hitting the mark with regard to your faith, on you finally reaching that goal to which you've always strived to be as good as you hope to be or to believe as strongly as you hope to be or, or whatever, if it's based on that, you have to give that up because it's not about you, first of all, and secondly, because that's God's job. And you know what? You're unqualified for that job. You're not up for that. You can't do it. God will complete your faith. So you ask, but don't I have a part? Of course. I mean, this is no excuse to give up on the work of sanctification, which is 
all the Bible m means uh, uh, is that we, we participate in this, right? Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's work to do. It's, it's just getting the, the pieces and parts in the right place, right? We cooperate with God in the work God is doing in us. The work God is doing in us is not work that we do entirely on our own. God is doing it. We cooperate with God in that, which I don't know how you experience that. My experience of that is most of the time, I just have to get out of the way. I mean, there's positive stuff for me to do, but I just have to, first of all, not be uncooperative with what God is doing in my life. That's kind of step one, right? We're called to that work, but we will never complete our faith. We can't, we won't, we don't have that power. So it's a nuanced understanding, but incredibly reassuring. There's a place of rest there, right? God starts our faith, God will complete our faith. And we are called to ongoing growth in Christ. That's what Paul gets to next. And this is my prayer, he writes, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Again, the original language is helpful. That your love may abound that your love may overflow, surpass all measurement. That's what abound means. May grow so large that nobody can measure. Like, like all the stars in the sky. You can't count them. That your love would be that big. But not just big like that, but that your love would abound in a couple specific ways. Paul prays that their love will surpass all measurement in knowledge and depth of insight. Let's do the original language again. Knowledge means basic clarity of thinking. Depth of insight means capacity for practical, concrete judgment. So Paul's specific prayer for the Philippians is their love would grow beyond measure in two specific ways. Basic clarity of thinking and capacity for good judgment. Hmm, well, this is getting interesting. We're getting this, right? I mean, Paul isn't praying for just a foo-foo kind of love here. It's a love with a purpose. And Paul describes that purpose in verse 10. He prays clarity of thinking and good judgment for them so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Original language again. Discern what is best this includes both the mental and practical side of recognizing what's right and doing it. It's not just theoretical, it's actually practical. Discernment isn't just deciding in your head but aligning your life also. So love that surpasses measurement, basic clarity of thinking, capacity for good judgment, for the purpose of knowing and doing what's right, and then being pure and blameless. This refers to an inner kind of purity of the mind and heart. The word translated pure there. I think I messed up the slide actually. That definition is just for pure. Blameless is the outward life. So there's, there's a reference here that you may be pure inside, there might be inner alignment, and blameless, there might be outer alignment. So, sum all this up. Here it is. 
Paul prays that the love generated by our faith in Jesus would grow beyond measure in clarity of thinking and capacity for good judgment for the purpose that we will know and do what is right and experience a synchronized purity of both our hidden and visible lives. Now that is quite a prayer. Maybe we should be praying this for people around us. Actually, we should be praying this for people around us, those we love most because there's no greater gift than a faith that grows in love to clarify thinking and bring to us good judgment in all of the challenges we encounter in life so that we can know and do the right thing and have alignment from the inner life and and outer life. That's following Jesus in, in a mature kind of way. And he puts the cap on it, you know, as we live in this space, the fruit of righteousness, the outcome of a renewed relationship with God expressed in all these ways will be visible in us. We'll be experiencing that. The fruit of righteousness is really the fruit of the spirit, right? Galatians 5. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want more of those things? in their lives. Those are good things. See, the the gospel changes everything, really. I mean, from the opening lines of Philippians, Paul points to this reality. Changed lives in Christ because Jesus did what he did. Because he came to earth in person to fulfill everything that we owed to God, to pay a debt that he didn't owe on our behalf. Because Christ has come to do all of that We can know God, not just know about God. We can know God, what God is like, live in relationship with the Lord, really. We can grow in Christ and our obedience to him, free from the guilt of not getting it right all the time, knowing that we're welcomed back. We receive a new purpose in Christ as as we come to faith. God invites us to join him in his family business in the world, to partner with God in the work of redemption. What that means is that we become agents of reconciliation and and healing and and building up and calling all people to, to faith in Jesus. We're the healers that God sends out into the world. It'd be a really great question to ask what that looks like for us. What might that look like for you this week? How can you be the healer this week out there, right? And all of this with the great assurance that God hasn't and won't Give up on us. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And thanks be to God for that. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for your spirit. Would you work the scripture into us, knead it into our lives and hearts and minds today that, uh, that there might be some rising, <laughs> that we might become larger because of your word. Uh, we want to know you and walk with you, God, and we want to grow and you. Help us, Jesus, in our place of need. We ask in your name, amen.